Amen. Young people, you are dismissed. You may go to junior church. Let's go quietly. Let's turn our Bibles for a moment, if you would, to John chapter 3. This is not the message this morning, but Brother Roberts put some pressure on me. And he said, you will hear the gospel. So we're going to make sure that happens real quick. And, uh, you know, I, I said, I leaned over to Brother Calvin. He said, I don't have a gospel message this morning necessarily, but I believe that the Lord would lead in that way. And, uh, you know, we've been singing this morning, uh, It's Under the Blood. Amen. And the ladies trio did a great job. I love that song. It's under the blood. I like, I like songs. I told you this before. I like songs that kick the devil in the shins. The old accuser tried to say, but it's under the blood. I turned to him and said, it's under the blood. And our sins are washed away. We sang the blood of Jesus speaks for me. We sing at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. And, uh, and then we sang a couple other songs about heaven. One day. When we all get to heaven and we sing, oh, I want to see him. But here's the thing. None of that will happen unless you're first under the blood. We can sing, we can sing about the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing him face to face. And one day when we all get to heaven, because for most of us in this room, we know that our sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. I noticed in John chapter 3, as I was just thinking about these things, of course, that's our kind of go-to chapter as born-again believers, isn't it? You must be born again. The Bible talks about a ruler of the Pharisees, Nicodemus. The Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, listen to this, I like this, we know, we know that thou art a teacher Come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I just, I just got thinking about that. I was just reading at the chair over here while Donna was singing, and I saw those words, we know. We know. He said, what are you getting at? They knew there was something different about Jesus. The Pharisees had come from a long line of religious leaders. They had been raised in the faith of of the Jewish religion and they had learned the Talmud and they learned the Torah and they, they, they grew up in rabbinical schools and they understood the things of God from a Old Testament perspective and, and yet they knew there was something different about Jesus. I got thinking about our service this morning in that light. And you might be visiting with us today and you, you look around and say, why are people raising their hands? There's a few that are Getting a little wild up there in the front row, Eric and Kathy. And there's others that are shouting amen, Bob Barnsley. And there's others that are saying hallelujah. And there's, there's others like the preacher with tears coming down his face. Because we believe Jesus is real. There's something different about somebody that knows Jesus Christ because he's real. We're not bowing down to some wooden or bronze statue. We're not worshiping a plurality of gods that we hope are out there. We're not like those in the book of Acts that erected a monument to the unknown God. We believe beyond the shadow of doubt that the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. And his name was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to dwell among us that we might behold his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he had questions for him. And Jesus answered, uh, even though these were not his questions, he said, we, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God 
be with him, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you've been born again this morning, those songs that we sang about one day and we'll all get to heaven and we'll see him face to face and we'll fall at his feet and we'll worship the king of kings, none of that will happen unless you're born again. Unless you come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and believe in the finished work of Calvary. I mean, we could go on for hours and unwrap all the theological implications of that, I understand. But notice what the Lord said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course, Nicodemus is thinking of the physical, not the spiritual. How can I... Go back and start over. How many of you would like sometimes think, I wish I could just start over? I wish I could go back to the, to the time I was maybe 15 years old and, and start this adult life again or maybe get a second chance at a career or maybe a second chance at raising my children or maybe go back to the day I got saved and maybe I wouldn't waste so much time, but instead I'd spend those moments for the Lord. Often we look back with regret and Nicodemus is just in a physical realm thinking, I'm, I need to, do I need to start over? Do I enter back into my mother's womb and do I need to start this life fresh and this time be perfect? This time not make the same mistakes and this time don't fall prey to the same sins. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. Notice what he says in the next verse. He says, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that's the physical birth, and of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We're all flesh here today, aren't we? We're born of the flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, he must be born again. Here's the good news. You need that second chance. You can be born again today. To be born again means to be a new creature in Christ, behold, all that is old is passed away, and everything is made new in Christ Jesus. Yes, you were born of the flesh, but you can be born of the Spirit today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible is very plain when it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Here's the truth. For those that are in sin... You're already dead. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds the Ephesians, and you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead men walking. Just waiting for that final separation, that final judgment of God, where those who are not found written in the book of life, if you're dead, you can't be in the book of life. You understand that, right? That's just simple grammar. Those who are not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for there is none that doeth good. There is none righteous. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
you can be saved today. Nicodemus continued a little bit longer. And Jesus told him, well, you know how to get to heaven. He goes, no, Lord, how, how do we know how to get there? And Jesus says, you're right. There's only one that knows how to get to heaven, and it's he who has descended from his father. Uh, if you're going to get directions from somebody, get directions from somebody that's been there. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that came from the Father to show us the way. He even said that to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. He said this in John chapter 3, you know the verse, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, I love this verse, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You're dead in your sins. You're standing in the place of condemnation before almighty, holy God. And yet Jesus came and says, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to quicken you. I came to make you alive. I came to rescue you from your sins. What an amazing promise of Scripture. And I wonder today, is there one that maybe you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven? We were singing those songs, one day when we all get to heaven, and you're singing, I hope so. I hope that's true. We can help you today. We'd love to take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ and expound on just a few moments that I've shared with you this morning. We'll answer any questions you have. We'll show you what the Bible says, God's holy word about having eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak to hearts and move in our midst. And Lord, maybe there's one here that doesn't know Christ as Savior. God, would you save them today? Lord, would you work in the heart of man and help us, Lord, to see the, the need of the spiritual, that we must have new life in Christ if we are ever to have a hope of eternal life in heaven. And Lord, we'll thank you for all these things. Lord, I need your help today. I pray that you might bless the message. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I, I promise I won't keep you long. I know I just stole some time there. But hey, we should, never, we should never miss an opportunity to share the gospel. Luke chapter 19 this morning, we're continuing with our study through the book of Mark. But I like the rendering in Luke better. Luke records a couple things that Mark chose not to record. And so we're going to look at the parallel passage. This is a passage of scripture that's actually in all four gospels. Not just the synoptic gospels, but all four. And so we'll touch on some different things from different gospels this morning. I've had a lot of people ask me uh, what's going on with me right now. And so I thought I'd just take a moment and share, rather than share it 400 times, I'll just share it once and, and, and let you know. Last Sunday morning, just before the morning service at about, uh, I guess about 10 to 9, uh, I had a hemorrhage in my right eye. And it went about 85, 90% blind uh, for rehearsal, and by the time church started, it was completely blind. And so uh, if you saw me reading like this real quick, as much as I could, I went back to my office, tried to memorize my message as best I could so that I could just kind of preach it without referring to my notes. And so that afternoon, I went to the hospital and spent some time in the hospital in the afternoon, and so that's why we weren't at the evening service. And, and then Wednesday night, 
doctor just says rest. And so I tried to stay away because I tried to get involved too much. And so um, just pray for it, if you would. It's still about 75% blind. It is clearing. Doctor says there's no permanent damage and that it should clear in the next couple weeks. And then I'll require some laser surgery later on to help prevent it from happening again if we can. And so I just appreciate your prayers. It's, uh, it's just been a frustrating hindrance. It's really not painful. There's no pain at all. But appreciate your prayers. It does hinder. My wife doesn't like me driving like this. I'm not sure why. But uh, anyway, they said I'm not, until I have the surgery in about four weeks, I'm not allowed to pick anything up. I'm not allowed to bend over. I'm not allowed to push, pull. And then they bring Theo over to see me. Isn't that terrible? And so, uh, we, anyway, I've picked him up anyway. I just, you know, some, sometimes the risk is worth the reward, you know. And, uh, but just pray that it continues to heal. It is clearing, but it's just kind of slow and frustrating. And, and uh, I appreciate that so much, all right? So if you see me in town, I'm usually wearing a patch. It lets it relax. The muscles aren't working so hard. And then there's, there is a little bit of discomfort when it starts getting tired. And so I wear a patch some of the time. So that, that helps me. Uh, recover a little bit. All right. All right. So there, now you all know, and you can, uh, I appreciate your prayers so much, uh, but I, I, I answer the same questions 80 times in a day. So it's just easier to do it once. Luke chapter 19. Now let's look here very quickly. I, I tried to, to put together a simple message so that I could remember most of it. I've printed it. You could probably read the message from where you're sitting. I've, I've tried to print it really large to help me, and I've got my mother-in-law's Bible, and it's just as big. So Luke chapter 19, and we come to the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that we're all only in Mark chapter 11, and we're already at the last part of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry. We are just a week from Calvary, and yet there's so much that happens in that week. As a matter of fact, if we were in the book of John, you understand almost half of the book of John is the last week of Jesus. John chapter 14, where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. We're in the last week of Jesus already. And so we see the, the, the cleansing of the temple, and we see all kinds of things happening during that last week. And so we won't be done, uh, probably, I, I plan on trying to finish up around November so that we can go into Christmas and, and finish out the year. But let's look today at Luke chapter 19. <laughs> Luke chapter 19, and if you will, look at verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he came nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go ye in to the village over against you in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied whereon ye... Uh, Yet never man sat, loose him, and bring him hither. If any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that went, and they that were sent, went their way and found even as he had said unto them. Let's pray together. Father, help us, Lord, to glean from the word of God today that which you would have us learn. Lord, I need your help. Lord, you know my hindrances, and Lord, again, I'm thankful that in our weaknesses you are made strong. So I pray that you'd fill me with the Spirit, and I pray that the Spirit of God will fill each one and help us to hear. And Lord, if, if some would completely tune me out this morning, I pray that they'd only tune me out because the, the gospel that we just shared a moment ago is just working in their heart. That they cannot think about anything else 
except for trusting Jesus. I pray, Lord, that that thought would be real in their heart and their mind until the time of the altar call and they would come down the aisle and accept Jesus as their Savior. So bless our time in your word now, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is, it is good, just before I start, it is good to have uh, Theo here. Matt and Emily came too, amen. And, uh, but tonight... Tonight, I, I've been ready, I was ready to preach both services, but uh, just by the end of the day, things are pretty tough. And so uh, Matthew's going to preach tonight. I always look forward to hearing him preach. And so I'm going to have my son-in-law come and bring us the word of God tonight. You pray for them. They're starting a new position on October 1st at the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, Michigan. And we're excited about that. A little bit closer to grandma and grandpa. And they're about three and a half hours there. And so we're thrilled that they're much closer to home. But you pray for them as they make that transition. And uh, pray for him as he prepares to preach the word of God tonight at 5 o'clock. Luke chapter 19, as we continue in this series through the book of Mark and we examine the life of Christ and for the purpose of understanding Jesus, simply because we are to be conformed to his image. Our theme, of course, is to speak Jesus, but the only way to speak Jesus or to profess him in our lives is to know what he was like and to, to try to conform ourselves to his image. But how many of you have learned with me that there's a lot of times where we say, Lord, I want to be more like you, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to change this, it rarely works. It has to be a work of the Spirit. I learned a long time ago that if a message in particular touches my heart, my prayer has changed. I, I no longer say, Lord, I, I, I want to apply that to my life, or I want to do that. I want to take what the preacher has said and what the Word of God is teaching today, and I want to, to add that into my daily routine or into my spiritual walk. Instead, I pray, Lord, apply it. Lord, may the Spirit of God just begin to change me and mold me and make me and chip away the rough edges. And Lord, you're going to have to do the work in my life because I don't have what it takes. God will change us from the inside out. And as we've been examining the scriptures, we've learned a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ and what it is. But the truth is, as I was reading this passage, I, I see only one characteristic that jumps off the page. But then the Holy Spirit began to turn my attention to the others in the story. We notice about the Lord Jesus Christ that he comes in meekness and humility. If there's anything we should model in our lives as believers is meekness and humility. The book of Matthew records that as the Lord Jesus Christ took this colt, the full of an ass, and the Bible says they, they threw some blankets or clothing or garments upon him, and Jesus sat upon this donkey. Matthew tells us it was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew, he writes, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. He made no royal demands. His transportation was not a royal carriage or a steed, but a colt, the foal of an ass. He had no planned processional, just lowly followers who honored him and cried out as he approached the city. No musicians played. There was no parade before him and no herald to hail his coming. Just a simple ride on the back of a donkey 
with the shouts of disciples who claimed adoration, but in just a few days would forsake him. If there's anything we should model about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's that meekness and lowliness. It's amazing what God can do from a humble spirit. And he'll use you beyond measure. But as I mentioned a moment ago, as I studied out this passage, I, I began to notice some other things about genuine servants of the Lord. These that gathered around were just as much disciples as the 12 that the Lord Jesus Christ had chosen. And they had chosen on that day to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as he descended from the Mount of Olives and went through the valley and would ascend through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. They would cry, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I want you to think about these disciples this morning and as we see the life that has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's no doubt that these disciples had spent some time with Jesus. I like what the Bible says in Acts chapter four about the, Peter and John, the disciples of the Lord, when it says that the, 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 the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the council determined that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they could tell they'd been with Jesus. They had no formal training. Peter and John were fishermen. They were blue collar. They were men that worked with their hands and though they did not go to the finest schools and had no college education, their lives had been touched by the master. I would say many in this crowd that we see gather along the streets and crying out to the Lord could be numbered the same way. Unlearned and ignorant men but you could tell they'd been with Jesus. There had been a touch in their lives. And I want you to notice some things we see about disciples today. I've entitled my message, Always Ready. Always Ready. Three things that disciples should always be ready to do. Number one, always ready to serve unconditionally. Always ready to serve unconditionally. Look back at those first few verses and look, if you will, at verse 29. It says, and it came to pass when he came unto Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He had a mission for two of his disciples. And I want you to notice, first of all, as we consider serving unconditionally, I want you to consider the request. What did he request of these two? He asked them simply, you'll see in verse 30, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and the which at, at, at your entering ye shall find a cold tide, wherever yet, or whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. If any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. You ever thought about that request? What did he ask those two disciples? Here's what I want you to do. I don't know who they were. Maybe it was Andrew and Philip. I don't know. He says, Andrew, Philip, I have a, a request for you. What is it, Lord? You see that little village over there? When you go in, you'll see, just as you go in just a little ways, there'll be a donkey tied up. It'll just be a colt, just a little one, the foal of an ass. Nobody's even, it's not even broken yet. Brand new donkey. Would you go and untie it and bring it to me? You mean you want me to steal a donkey? Never does it say they should go and ask permission. 
Never says that they should purchase the donkey. Here's some money, here's some funds. The Lord could find money easy, couldn't he? If he needed a coin, he'd go fishing. That that was not an issue for the Lord. They had some sort of treasury system because Judas carried the purse. But can you imagine the requests? There'd be a lot of things that, that the Lord might ask of us and we would say, no problem, Lord. Would you ride a bus? Yeah, I'll ride a bus. Would you, would you help in master clubs? I'd love to help. Can you teach a Sunday school class? Yes, I'd love. Would you sing? Would you go in the choir? Would you, would you lead singing? Would you do something? Would you pray? Yes, Lord. But would you do this? Where are your limits? I never read in the scriptures in all four gospels, they never questioned. They served unconditionally. Furthermore, with this request, the Lord says, if any man ask you. If the Lord had said to me, I want you to go into the city and I want you to find this colt and untie him and bring him to me, and when they ask you, you just tell them the Lord has need of them and everything will be okay. I would say, okay, the Lord has a plan here. He said, when? He knows that when we go to get the colt, somebody's going to protest and they're going to say, what are you doing taking my colt? And we're just simply to answer in this regard. And they'll say, fine, go ahead and go. No problem at all. But he didn't say when. He said if. In other words, if you can get away scot-free, don't worry about it. But if they ask, here's your answer. I want you to notice this morning that not everything the Lord asks us to do is easy. Not everything the Lord will ask you to do is about your personal comfort level. Boy, I I can't imagine a decade ago that, that some of the folks in our church would be doing what they're doing today. But they've been pressed and they've been moved out of their comfort zone and the Lord keeps adding and enlarging their coast. And isn't it a wonderful thing when God grows us spiritually? But maybe you're here today and you're just kind of stalled out. Let me ask you, are you willing to serve the Lord unconditionally? Consider the request, but consider their response. Notice what it says next in verse 32. And they that went, and they that were sent went their way. And found even as he had said unto them. They went. They got up and they went. They never, they never said to the Lord, now maybe when they were walking towards the little town, they said, how do you think this is going to play out? Maybe, maybe they just wondered in their hearts a little bit and wondered, but, but to their credit, the Bible says, the Lord said, go, and they went. How many times have you sat in a missions conference and saw the video in the of the missionary and the tears begin to come down your face and you wonder, Lord, do you want me to go? You want me just to, to give for them to go? Do I need to go over and just try to help in some way? I can, I can help with the children's ministry. I can go and do a vacation Bible school. There's, there's something I can do to invest in this ministry and yet we never move. These disciples of the Lord never questioned with this unorthodox task that was laid at their feet. And as daunting as the request was, their response was simple obedience. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 2 of Abraham and Isaac. 
And after these things came to pass, the Lord did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Behold, here I am. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. He said, what happened next? And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he claved the wood for the burnt offering. And he rose and he went forth to the place where God had showed him. That's faith. To not question God, but to serve him unconditionally. I I began to think more about this passage, and I thought, you know, these disciples served unconditionally, but here's what else they did. They sacrificed unselfishly. They sacrificed unselfishly. Look at verse 32. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. Luke does not record a response from these owners. As a matter of fact, Luke is the only one that says they are the owners. In other passages, we say there were some standing by or there was others around there. But now, it's specifically, Luke says they were, they were the owners. Makes me wonder if Luke was not one that went. And they, so these owners question, why are you loosing the colt? And the Bible tells us in the book of Mark 11, verse 6, and they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, and they, the owners, let them go. That was a sacrifice for those owners. I don't know if you understand this, but a, a little donkey was a lifetime of service. A little colt had only been born. The Bible says it clarifies the situation, saying a man has never even, it's not even been broken yet. Nobody has ever sat on this colt. It has an entire lifetime of service. A lifetime of carrying things for the owner. It was to be put to work and used to their profit and to their help and, and to whatever their hands found to do, they would use this donkey to, for their business and their interests. It would also be used for transportation. They weren't the Romans. They didn't have horses. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ was born after his mother was carried on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem. The Lord Jesus Christ would ride into Jerusalem upon the back of this very donkey. It was an animal of burden, and it was an animal of transportation. And so for these, think about it in this sense, would you give up your truck? Would you give up your car? He said, but I have, I have doctor's appointments and I have to get to work and there's some urgency in my life that requires transportation. How will I get my groceries home and how will I do my business? That's what this cult meant to these people. The owner said, why are you loosing him? And they said, because the Lord needs him. Good enough. I'm willing to sacrifice all. I want you to notice some things about their sacrifice for a moment, if you will. In their sacrifice, they were not concerned with their rights. They were not concerned with their rights. Those owners, you know what they could have done? They could have called the authorities. 
They could have said, we have the right of ownership. That belongs to me, and I'm going to do with it what I want. How many of you have been guilty of that in the service of the king? But Lord, that's my money. That's my talent. That's my gift. And I should be able to do with that whatever I please. And we forget sometimes the Lord gave us that money, and he gave us that talent, and he gave us that gift to be used for his glory. They weren't concerned about their rights. There's a good reminder in these owners, and I don't know how many were bound together in this ownership, but we'll say maybe two. And there's a reminder from these two that the Bible says this. Paul said to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When the Bible says to endure hardness as a good soldier, most of us in this room cannot imagine what that means. We have some that have seen war sitting among us. And they will tell you that war is hell on earth. And the atrocity, we, we don't understand what it is to endure that type of hardness. But here's one thing we can understand. A soldier forfeits his rights. Brother Tom, would you ever stand up to a commanding officer who says, no, nah, I don't feel like doing that? No, sir. You'd end up in the brig, I guess. You'd end up some sort of penalty. You don't, you don't get to enforce your will or your rights when you're in the army. Paul says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Do you know who is crucified? One who no longer has rights. They are totally forfeited as they're heading to the cross. That's what true sacrifice is all about. These men were not concerned about their rights. They were not concerned about their requirements. You say, what do you mean by that? I, I mean to say that there was no conditions upon the sacrifice. They did not allow it. Uh, uh, they did, did not give this sacrifice independence upon their preferences or how the gift might be used. They didn't know what the Lord was going to do, did they? All the disciples told those owners was, the Lord has need of him. Good enough. They didn't know if they were going to have a barbecue. I don't know what roast donkey tastes like. I have no idea. They didn't know if they were going to put him on a spit and barbecue him. They didn't know if, it, if they were going to give him away to some other needy family. They didn't know what they were going to do with it. They didn't, it didn't matter. You see, it wasn't about their personal ambitions or goals at that point. So many of us will say, well, you know what? I'll serve the Lord as long as it fits my gifts. I'll serve the Lord as long as you do this. I'll give that offering as long as I know it's going to this and this alone. We've got to be very careful how we put conditions on the Lord. Some say, I will serve the Lord as long as I'm only up on the platform and I get to be seen. Can I tell you something about these owners? Well, let, let, me, let me have you tell me something about these owners. What is their names? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. One day you'll bump into somebody in heaven, you'll get talking to them a little bit and say, so, so when did you live? Well, I lived around the time of Jesus. Oh, really? Did you get to see him? Well, yeah, I heard about him a little bit and I saw him from time to time. 
but I'm the guy that gave the donkey. What's your name? Doesn't matter. They served unselfishly. And they sacrificed and they gave, and nobody knew their names. There was no conditions. There was no requirements upon the sacrifice. The third thing is they were not concerned with any return. Did you notice that the owners never said, well, what's in it for me? The owners never said, you know, we, we have the, the ass that gave birth to this foal, but she is old and we can't use her much longer and we're, we're just hoping to raise this one up and he can take her place and do her work and bear her burden and be our transportation and be a help to us. And so we're going to need some sort of return here. We have to replace that donkey. They never asked for a return. They never said, what's in it for me? They never even asked, could we have it back when you're done? Because that's what true sacrifice is all about. The true disciple of the Lord serves unconditionally and sacrifices unselfishly. We give with no hope of return. But I want you to see a third thing. A disciple of the Lord is always ready to sing unashamedly. To sing unashamedly. Now, this is a stretch. I get it. I'm trying to alliterate, okay? But you know what they did? All the rest of them worshiped. They began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Notice, if you will, in verse 35. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, look at this, the whole multitude of the disciples, there weren't just 12, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works. I wish they didn't sing so loud in church. You wouldn't have liked that day. They were shouting. It was, it was a loud voice, the Bible says, for all their mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I said that we should always be ready to sing unashamedly. And I, I, I want you to see that disciples of Jesus are a people of worship. That's what we ought to be. Last week, I was so thankful that I, I was a little nervous. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Pastor and Mrs. Shaw had come to visit. And, and uh, I remember years ago uh, when the Shaws were in Ancaster and, and uh, they... You know, they sang hymns from the hymn book, and they did you know all those things, and just like we do. And and uh, but I remember just spending time with Scott, and and Scott was always very, very, very conservative. And he says, I, I don't like music that's a soundtrack, and I don't like, you know, I I remember seeing a a CD from a Bible college, and I I really liked it. I thought it was a good CD, and I I'd had a copy of it. I didn't tell him that, but he saw it in a store, and he goes, I wouldn't use that for a doorstop. And when he came to church and went, uh-oh, he's not going to like this. Some people shout around here and some raise their hands and some get excited. And, and the choir sings like they do and the ensemble sings like they do. And I thought, oh boy. But I thought, oh well, 
What do you do? At the end of the service, he stood here in tears. He said, I've never been in a service where we worship like that before. He told Brother Hilton the same thing. That was the most worshipful service I've ever been in. It blessed my heart because the people of God should be a people of worship. He is worthy. And the people begin to worship. Notice what it says. We see, first of all, they recognized him through their actions. The people laid their clothes, it says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 36, and palms in John chapter 12 and verse 13 in the way. John is the only place where it calls it palms. Other places it says just cut branches from the trees, but in John chapter 12 it says they cut branches from palm trees, and thus we call it Palm Sunday. The clothes and the palms go back a long time. The palms go back to the time of David, and the people would wave palms. And they, as the king drew nigh, they would throw him in his path. You remember they sang, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And they threw those palms in his path, and it signified victory and royalty. And to take off your garment, a coat or a cloak, and to lay it down at the feet of Jesus was to humble yourself before the king. And that's what the people did. So they recognized it through their actions, but notice also they rejoiced with their accolades. They rejoiced with their accolades. In verse 37 it says, And when he was come nigh, even now the descent on the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now I don't know if that's singing or not, but you know the Bible very rarely uses the word sing. It talks about the angels in heaven, how they speak. But singing is a part of speaking. We are projecting our voices. And I have to believe that when people are rejoicing and joyful, we normally sing. We sing his praises. And so I, I just titled this to sing unashamedly. But the point is that we are to worship him. And I want you to notice how they rejoiced with their accolades. In verse 37, they showed appreciation. It says, when he was come, even now to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works that they had seen. Lord, we love you and we show appreciation for the last three years, the miracles, the things that you've done, the lives that you've changed, the people that you've healed and the souls you have saved. And they sang with a loud voice and they rejoiced in the Lord in appreciation. But look at verse 38, their appreciation turns to adoration. And it says this in verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I can show appreciation. Brother Eric, I could be thankful that you're going to take me out to social aid today. I, I really, I can do that. Sure. Appreciation's one thing, but to bow at your feet and to say you are the king and blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. That is adoration. Their appreciation turned to adoration. Their appreciation Help them recognize this is God in the flesh. You see the word they used? Miracles. Only God can do that. And their appreciation turned to adoration. That's what worship is. That we would appreciate and adore the Lord. Well, what do you suppose the religious leaders thought of that? What do you suppose Rome would think of that if they were declaring a new king? 
Well, the Bible tells us a little bit. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. I think there was a couple concerns. Number one, they probably were concerned with blasphemy. This would go against everything they believed. I believe they were probably also scared of Rome. You're going to make it real hard on us if they think the Jewish people are promoting a new king. We have one king, Herod. And so they were concerned. He says, the Pharisees said, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said, verse 40, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. We see appreciation, we see adoration, but we see an admonishment, don't we? Maybe you've been sitting in church, and in your heart you just want to let it go. But you're afraid of what somebody besides you might think. Wouldn't it be wonderful you walked out in the parking lot and a rock started singing God's praises at you? That'd scare you to death. Boy, it'd wake us up, wouldn't it? Brother Judge was preaching at my wife. And I think, actually, we'll call it manipulation, Brother Judge. And she, she didn't think she was going to be in the, the choir for the Christmas cantata one year. And, and he says, that's all right. He says, we'll just put a rock up there and it can take your place. And she felt so bad, she says, I better no rock going to take my place. <laughs> With all the Texas attitude she could muster. And she got up and she sang. No rock ought to take your place. Appreciate and adore him. Disciples are always ready to serve unconditionally, to sacrifice unselfishly, to sing unashamedly. You know, this passage really sums it up, doesn't it? It makes it kind of simple. Just serve in simple obedience. Just go, no matter what the task. Just serve. Sacrifice. Give selflessly. Be willing to give all for Christ and his cause. And then worship unashamedly. Can I tell you this? I think it's in that order too. Because if we're not serving and we're not sacrificing, it's an embarrassment to worship. We might, we might just as easy hang our head in the pew and say, oh Lord, I didn't do much this week. Let me finish with this, I'm done. But make sure, make sure it is all for the Lord and Him alone. I just heard recently somebody was telling me that their pastor began to preach. And he said, you know, if I ask you to do something, you don't even need to pray about it because God has laid upon my heart and it is the will of the Lord. You ought to just go and do it. Beware of a preacher that tells you not to worry about praying. You're not here to serve me. You're here to serve the Lord. You're here to serve with me. And I know that the Lord puts us in a place. Listen, that's just manipulation. That's manipulation. The true disciple of the Lord will appreciate and adore him so much they'll want to serve and they'll want to sacrifice. Is that where your heart is today?
Lord, I want to love you more than I ever have before. There's an old song that says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That's the song of a disciple. To truly know him and to love him, to appreciate and adore him, and say, because of it, I'm going to give my all for Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us, we pray. Speak to our hearts today. Move among us. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge we see from these disciples, Lord, who had spent some of them a month, some of them a week, some of them for three and a half years now, have been traveling with the Lord Jesus Christ, the multitude of disciples. As a result, they were just willing to serve unconditionally and sacrifice unselfishly and to sing unashamedly. God, I pray that you'd put that in our hearts today. Not because some preacher says so, but because we have a heart overflowing in love for our Savior. Lord, your love, the Bible says, his love constraineth us. It provokes us. Lord, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we shall be called the sons of God. And when we consider that love for us, may we want to give our all for him. So help us during this invitation time. And if there's one, Lord, that would consider the earlier admonition about salvation, we pray, Lord, that they'd come to the foot of the cross today and accept Christ before it's eternally too late. Bless us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And If God has spoke to your heart, would you come? Just come and lay your burden at this altar today. And if God is stirring you to do something, would you come and cement it? Give it to the Lord. Remember what I said earlier? I, I've learned enough about myself that I can't say, Lord, I want to apply that today. No, no, Lord, you must apply it. May your Holy Spirit mold me and make me into the image of Jesus. God help us. There's one here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. When you're singing those songs about when we all get to heaven, I, I don't know if I could sing that. I don't know if you were talking about me. But when you spoke about needing Jesus Christ as a Savior, I could feel the finger of the Holy Spirit placed upon my heart. Could we help you today? Could we show you what the Bible says about having eternal life through Jesus Christ? We'll answer all your questions. We'll take all the time you want. If there's one, would you slip up your hand? Nobody's looking around. I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I promise. Would you slip up your hand? Is there one? Hold it up for a moment. I'm looking around. Is there one? 